Hi, friends. Well, we had a little bit of an audio glitch when I started my sermon this morning, so I'm going to re-record it for you, and I'm going to use the PowerPoint slides as the visual. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the first part of the service, and now we are going to take a look at our next message in this series uh, called Exploring Wider Questions Enlarge Us. And we have been asking a variety of different questions over the past number of weeks. And let me review them for you for a moment here. Uh, first of all, we talked a little bit about how did it all begin. We talked a little bit about affinity going back millions and billions of years leading up to the moment of the Big Bang, multiple universes that had been created by God talking a little bit about the mystery of infinity and the complexity of how all of these things developed. Then we talked a little bit about who is God. And we talked a little bit about God being light, love, and spirit. And we also understand that God is the whole of every whole, uh, the existence of a being beyond how we can know. And uh, he is the wholeness of being. In him we live, we move, we have our being. Then we talked a little bit about what is humanity, and we talked about being progressive participants in the creation. We talked a little bit about being a part of an evolution of a project God was on that would create um, a, a uh, opportunity for the creation to be inhabited by those that best reflect his image. Then we talked a little bit about how mankind develops civilization and that we are the image bearers of God in the world. We talked a little bit about religion and it being a kaleidoscope of different connections. We talked a little bit about religion being a complex of different creeds and beliefs and practices. And you see the definition here on the left side of the screen. It's kind of complex, but I think it's uh, something that is pretty extensive. Religion is a complex of culturally prescribed practices based on premises about the existence and nature of superhuman powers, whether personal or impersonal, that would help seek the practitioners to gain access uh, to things that would benefit them and to avoid those things that would harm them. Now, last week, we talked a little bit about every religion seems to have an altar at which they try to connect with God. And so what is worship? It is the idea of adoring God, uh, the idea of service to God, but it is usually connected with different idols and icons and different imaginations that are reflected in the particular religion we are talking about. Now, today, we're going to talk about what is sin? What is sin? And the title I have given to this message is Chaos in Control. And that will make more sense to us in a couple of moments here. And what we want to do by asking the question, what is sin, is to get out of this frame of thinking that we often have that sin is a list of do's and don'ts. We need to kind of think bigger than that. And so when we think about sin, usually we think of sins plural. But today I want us to think about sin singular. And this particular sin comes up pretty early in the Genesis account. 
And what we'll find is as we look around at the imperfections of life, when we see the nefarious activities of individuals in this life, we understand that there are some things that are mere nuisances to us, but there are some things that are quite evil, corrupt, and dangerous. And so today, as we are thinking about the war that started yesterday between Hamas and Israel, we see that mankind has had a history of violence over the many different centuries that mankind has been alive on this planet. And so what we're going to do for a few moments is ask the question, what is sin? Now, sometimes when we think of sin, we think of an apple that was on a tree that was plucked off the tree, and that one bite of apple ruined mankind. Well, in Genesis chapter 3, we're given an account of Adam and Eve after the creation narrative in chapters 1 and 2. We find that in chapter 3, there is two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what we find is the temptation that comes by means of a serpent leads Eve to that tree with the desire to partake of it, to be able to understand those things that are a mystery to her. There's a power in that, and there's an effort to try to gain control over the life that they have. Now, what we find is that when she takes a bite of that apple and when she gives it to her husband, Adam, we find that we often call that the origination of sin or another term for it that has often be, been used in theological circles is original sin. Well, I want us to think about for a moment what we see in the first part of the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis begins in chapter one, and there seems to be chaos that is already in place when we open the book. And so I want to read for you today, Genesis chapter one, verses one through five. And I want you to look for something as I read it. I want you to look for the chaotic waters, the waters that are churning and the darkness that comes with it. And as we listen to it, one of the things I want you to think about is where is this darkness and chaos coming from? It seems to already be in place. Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, what's interesting to me, though, is the light and the darkness doesn't come from the sun or the moon. The sun and the moon and the starry hosts come later in the creation week in Genesis chapter 1. So there's something that's already there. There is lightness and there is dark. And what we find is in the light and in the dark, there is this idea of a formless and emptiness that is over the surface of the deep and 
the Spirit of God is already there as well, hovering over the waters. So when we think about sin, we must think about these two things. First of all, there is something that exists prior to the creation. There is something that exists prior to the inhabitation of this planet. And what's interesting, as you can see on this slide, is sin is not named in chapter 3. We talked a little bit about Adam and Eve and them being the prototype of the type of human beings that have developed to a point where they can be entrusted with the care of creation. They have the ability to make choices, both good and evil. And they have the ability as well to take care of the planet and safeguard it as a place that will continue to be a place that they can inhabit. Well, as they partake, you can see the picture of Eve taking the fruit from the tree and taking a bite of it the circumstances change. And what we find is it ties back in to something that is already present. Eve had a desire for the knowledge of both good and evil. Evil already seems to exist. So when we think about original sin, maybe we need to go back prior to the creation. And many theologians actually do believe that somehow the supernatural host of beings that already existed prior to the creation that we live in uh, fell and that there was some type of sin. Now, there's hints of that in the book of Ezekiel and the book of Isaiah. There's a little bit of a hint of that in the book of Revelation as well. And so what Eve is participating in is something that is already there. So the creation story of Genesis 1 begins with darkness, and that darkness, surprisingly, is not described as being created by God, but it seems to be something that is constant, which exists before creation. And it is there that Adam and Eve participate in something that is already in existence. Now, what's fascinating is when sin is named. Sin is named not until chapter 4 of the book of Genesis, and it comes from the story of Cain and Abel. Let me read for you Genesis chapter 4. It begins by saying, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, 
let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to that question is yes. Why, yes, you are. Anyway, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So Cain has this exile experience because he participated in a force that led him to murder his brother. So when you look at this chapter, what's interesting is sin is finally named in the book of Genesis, but it's not uh, named as sins, plural. It is named as sin, singular. And what we find is from this sin comes many sins, plural. When you look at all of the commandments, whether it's in the Ten Commandments or whether it comes from uh, later in the Bible, all the sins that mankind can commit to uh, toward each other come out of this force, this chaos of soul that can be categorized as sin singular. So most of the sins that are committed toward other people, whether it is uh, do not steal, do not envy, uh, do not commit adultery, do not murder, um, do not speak false witness, um, do not gossip, do not, do not, do not. Or in the positive, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, as Jesus would tell us. All of these things are horizontal. They're relational. They are things that are done to or from other people. And with that in mind, what we find taking place is that out of this force, and I'm calling it a chaotic force that existed before the creation of the universe that we live in, this has been a part of the human experience from the beginning. And it is classified in Genesis 4 as a force that is ready to pounce. And the imagery there is an animal crouching at the door, ready to take opportunity uh, to pounce upon Cain or anybody else for that matter. Because the text does go on in Genesis chapter four and talk about one of the descendants of Cain, a man by the name of Lamech at the end of chapter four, that he too is filled with all kinds of anger like Cain is. And he allows this force to pounce upon him. He commits revenge for something that he felt was done against him. And he not only enacts revenge, but his desire is beyond the transaction against him 70 fold, 70 times more than what was done to him. That's why later in the Old Testament, there is a governor that is placed upon mankind, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Because as human beings, this force, this chaos that comes over us wants to be um, harsher and more forceful uh, and more violent against other people. 
what is the one sin? It seems to me the singular sin is this force that dehumanizes other human beings, that sees them less than, that sees them as someone that can be taken advantage of and used, someone that can be discarded and thrown away. This dehumanization leads to all the other sins. And it's always crouching. It's always ready to pounce upon us like a monster. So there's this unnamed and wild aspect to creation. Something that seems to have always been there because of something that we're not told about in the scripture, or just potentially the fact that we are made in the image of God with free will, with the opportunity to make choices and decisions are things that are often used and taken advantage of for our own benefit. And what we do is we dehumanize other human beings. And as we dehumanize them, we feel that they are something that we can use, abuse, and discard. And so there's this predatory element that is on the planet. And what we find is that we lean into that predatory element all the time. So what is sin? Sin is this something that uh, is a force that not only causes us to be tempted, you know, I'm tempted to do whatever, eat too much, or tempted to buy too much, or tempted to gossip, or tempted to um, lie. All of these things are just symptoms. The real cause is deep down inside the human soul is this predatory element that wants to use and abuse other people for our own benefit. And so when we come to trying to define what it means to uh, be sinners that are falling short of the glory of God, we need to understand this singular element before we think about all the individual mistakes and choices that we make that do not honor God. You know, going back to that idea of original sin, it can be something that many new parents are often afraid of because theologically, in particular from St. Augustine and his theology, as his attempt to outrun the shame that um, he felt for his past, felt that every person that enters into the human experience from the time they draw their first breath, they are sinners and they are totally depraved and they can't do anything right. But those of you who are parents, those of you who looked at your child the day that they were born, and you picked that little boy or that little girl up and held them in your arms. You didn't look down upon them and say, you sinner, you, you're totally depraved. They are a bundle of joy. They are an abundance of, uh, of all the good things of life. And what we find is we kind of take this idea of sins and throw it upon even those that have just come from the womb. And it seems to me that a lot of times parents are afraid that if their baby was to die, uh, they would go to hell because of this type of 
thinking and this type of theology. And they they sometimes scurry quickly uh, to do something that they think can appease God, to make God love their baby. You know something? God already loves that child. God already has that child in their arms, whether that child has been baptized or not. And you know something? God loves every human being that comes in to this world. Let me ask you a question in light of the terror that occurred yesterday in Israel. I want to ask the question, how many Israelites does God love? And the answer is all of them. How many Palestinians does God love? And the answer is all of them. And so this idea of sin, the idea of some people out sin other people, that changes God's uh, desire and love for that group of people is really off the mark. Rather, we need to understand that there is this desire that God had when he made us in his image to carry out his work in the world, to love upon other people in the same way that he loves all people. You know something? Life is a gift. Love is the point. And we all make choices every day whether we're going to lean into that and allow God to help us love other people, whether they are like us or unlike us. But rather, many times, we lean into the wrong uh, emphasis. We lead into the wrong energy. You know, the scriptures tell us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have made bad decisions. All of us have helped perpetuate the chaos that makes this world run the way it runs. And so when we think of chaos that existed before creation, was reinforced by Adam and Eve, but it is named as sin in Genesis 4 when Cain kills his brother Abel, is a vandalism against the shalom of God. You know, shalom is such a beautiful word. It's a word that describes life working the way it should. Shalom has the idea of bringing together rather than tearing apart. It's the idea of people living at peace with one another. And so shalom, this beautiful Jewish word, is something that God has wanted from day one of bringing humanity to the point where they can reflect his image. Dr. Cornelius Plantinga, a systematic theologian up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, said that sin is the culpable disturbance of shalom. I love that. It is the vandalism of shalom. It's like people being out of control and like vandalism on the street, destroying good things for their own anger's sake or their own desire to take or to steal something. You know, sin technically can be defined as missing the mark. Harmatia in the New Testament is the word, and it's this idea of God has this goal. God has this desire. God has this target that he wants people to hit and to get as close to as possible. But we all fall short of that. 
Rather, sin is this predatory element. It's this idea of this long, dark shadow that has been cast over human history. And there you see the definition of it from the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. So what is sin? Well, we've all sinned, plural, and fall short of this target that God has for humanity. But it all kind of extends out of the singular sin that's named in Genesis chapter 4. And I wanted to describe that as the chaotic force that seeks to devour human flourishing through willful participation of dehumanizing other people. You know, did Adam and Eve, I think they are figurative in the text, but did they have a choice? And I think in this narrative, the implied answer is they had a choice. They had a choice to either just hold on to all the good gifts that God had given, or they could lean into the idea that God was withholding something. And if they could just take a bite out of the knowledge of good and evil, they could make the choice of who's in and who's out, who's good and who's bad, who's uh, deserving of good treatment and who's not. These key, this chaotic force is something that has caused so much harm through the course of human history. Why is it that we still have the type of conflicts that go back thousands of years? Why is it it is something that we still hold on to, this idea of revenge, this idea of vengeance, this idea of violence? Why does this still hold our soul. Maybe it's because we all fall short of the glory of God. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what is the glory of God? Most of the time we think of the idea of the glory of God as the type of attributes that distinguishes him from humanity. You know, things like being all powerful and all knowing, uh, all these things, but I think the word that better describes those type of infinite qualities that God has versus our finite uh, abilities is the idea of holy. It's, it's what separates him. It's what distinguishes him. Rather, the idea of the glory of God is the idea of what brings God the greatest amount of pleasure. And so when God looks at mankind and he sees this cycle of sin that leads to sinning and the complexity of all the structures that develop around that, you know, when human beings sin, they create structures of sin, which in turn make human beings sin more. And so you have this Hispanic theologian from Spain, Jose Ignacio Gonzalez Foss, that says when human beings sin, they don't leave it as their own individual choice, but rather it becomes embedded within the society. And because it becomes a part of the structure of society, then in turn, it makes human beings sin more. So this morning, when I was giving this message in 
church, I gave the idea of racism. Think about it for a moment. When that small baby comes into the world, he or she does not have a racist bone in their body. And yet as they grow up and as they're conditioned, as they are indoctrinated, and this prejudice toward other people that don't look like us or sound like us or who live culturally different, well, it's ingrained within us at an early age, and we begin to distrust other people. And so we grow, and then something happens, and we are old enough to look at the news, and there's a certain group of people, and they begin to line up with some of those feelings that we have already learned, and then they grow greater in their hatred toward a particular group of people, and it gets embedded in society, and then it becomes structural problems like uh, Jim Crow laws and the lack of civil rights that we saw uh, in our country a number of years ago, and then it begins to cycle again, and all of that goes back to not just individual choices, but also the way our soul has been conditioned by dehumanizing other people. And that root sin that led Cain to kill his brother Abel is what is at the heart of lead, leading to other sins. These other sins can be big or they could be small. They could be huge lies or white lies. They could be uh, uh, you know, just small change thievery to grand larceny. It can be all these type of things that we see going on around us all the time. It could be a punch in the eye of someone that said something wrong, or it could be someone pulling their uh, concealed weapon and shooting at other people. You see, we as human beings need to be lifted up above and beyond this root sin that grows into societal problems. Well, how do you do that? How do you get out of that? Well, those type of things are all changed when we begin to look at the glory of God. And where do you see the glory of God? It's in other people. It's in other people. These people that have been made in the image of God, that God loves and God cherishes, that God does not elevate one side of humanity over another. The Bible is a very complex book, and it's full of violence, and it's full of hatred, and it's full of all kinds of bloodshed. But people back in the Old Testament, where a lot of this occurs, are people just like us that think in a particular way culturally, think in a particular way ethnically, think in a particular way in terms of values, that we're better than those other people. And that begins to grow roots. And as it does, sinning is chaos in control. And so when it gets out of control, sometimes the only way we can begin to reel it in is to ask God to intervene and to change our hearts and to confess that we truly have been participants within this chaos. And we don't want to allow chaos to remain in control of who we are as human beings. And so I love what St. Irenaeus of Lyons said. He says, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. I love that. The glory of God is a human being 
fully alive. When Jesus came into the world, he said, I came to give life and to give it in more abundance. And when he said that, he told us that he is the one that has come to break the chain of sin that leads to sins. And he dies upon the cross as a self-sacrifice to show what sacrificial love can do. There was a soldier at the foot of the cross that looked upon Jesus as he was dying, and he understood something when Jesus looked down and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And that soldier, a centurion, looked up upon the cross, and he said, surely this man is the Son of God. That's a quite a profound statement coming from a Roman soldier. So as we ask the question, what is sin? Maybe we can just look at this in a way that helps us understand how it all fits together. So let's look at this summary for a moment. So chaos existed before creation and the potential peril of sin existed at the time of creation. When sin expresses itself, it becomes like a predator that's at the door ready to devour those who are willing to give ear and mind to it. So sin, as it's named in the story of Cain and Abel, is a sin of dehumanizing other people that justifies our actions against them. So that sin then leads to other sins, plural. Other sins that continue to dehumanize other people. And there's always someone that we want to scapegoat in life. And these individuals are the ones that are our targets. We seem to aim our arrows at them and we miss the mark. Sinning is missing the mark that these individuals are deeply loved unconditionally by God. And if we could love like God loves, then rather than leading to structures of violence and other atrocities, especially ones that we're going to see in the days and weeks ahead over in Israel and in Gaza, well, it continues to damage the entire created order. And it doesn't bring glory to God. That's not what God created human beings to be or to do. And I think the structures of society are hard to break. So we need to pray a lot about it, don't we? And we need to work toward loving and serving and healing in our world. You know, when I began the service, I talked a lot about the chaotic waters that was so resident within the mindset of the ancient Near East, this fear of the sea and the creatures that lived in the sea. And if we come back to that theme, I guess the question that we can reflect upon is this question, will we be swept under the chaos? Will we be swept under the chaos? So let me give you an illustration to close. 
Imagine with me that you own a boat and you have kids that are old enough that they said, hey, I want to take the boat out and I want to spend the day out on the ocean. And so you look at the weather forecast and you say, ah, not the best day, not the best day. Don't go out. The water is dangerous. Don't go out. Some things that can happen but they ignore it. And as they ignore it, they get on the boat and they go out, whether it is upon Lake Erie or whether it's upon the Atlantic Ocean. And as they go out, they continue to drift farther and farther away from the shore and the storm that hits, just like it did for the disciples when they were out on the Sea of Galilee and the storm churned up and it was beyond their ability to control. And just about the time they were ready to lose it, Jesus comes along. And as he walks on the water, he tells them, do not be afraid. And he gets into the boat and the water's calm. You know, if these kids of ours that have a, a wish for going out and being adventurous, if they get out in the middle of it and it's beyond their control, they need outside help. And so we're watching the, the weather forecast and it's past the time for them to return home. You begin to call someone of greater power than you. You might call the Coast Guard and you might say, my kids are in danger. Could you please, could you please rescue them? And so the Coast Guard searches and seeks and finds your kids. And they get that boat hooked up and they tow it back. And they bring it back to shore and there you are standing on the shore. And it is there that you will run and not lecture them and not tell them you'll never get to use the boat again. But rather you'll hug them and you'll kiss them and tell them how much you love them and that you're so glad that they are safe. Jesus walks upon the water. Jesus calms the storms. Jesus opens his arms and embraces humanity because he came to seek and to save the lost. We have choices to make, choices between wisdom and foolishness. Will we be swept under the chaos? Or will we be those that can help bring shalom into the world? So thank you for listening to this message. And thank you for the opportunity uh, to ask the question, what is sin? It's chaos in control, but it's not like we don't have a choice. We have a choice to allow Jesus to lift us up out of the chaos and to place us on the safe shore where there we will find shalom. May God bless you. We'll see you next time. Have a great week.